people talking, hunters everywhere. Doesn't get any better. I only thing I was wondering is like, is this headset gonna mess my hair up? Pretty much a one species wonder. So all I know is samba deer, but the more the more I think I know, the more I realise I need to learn more. There's a there's a movement in the blackberry bushes and the cloak of invisibility gets switched off and Rogers appears. With the crazy world we live in today, many of us seek adventure of the unknown. Join the five of us everyday Aussies from all walks of life, share stories from men and women of all hunting camps. From tips and techniques to the emotional rollercoaster ride fulfilling a lifelong dream, there is a story to be told by all. Welcome to Hunting Camp Down Under. G'day guys and welcome back to uh, Hunting Camp Down Under. This is a, a part two of our uh, West Coast tar ballot, West Coast type hunting um, session with Pat Tidings from Boulder Creek Archery. How you going, Pat? Yeah, good buddy. Good. Nice to be back. Yeah, we um, sort of ran out of time on our last podcast, so we had to cut it short, but the way we are going, it would have been two and a half hours, so... We'll give her another crack today. We'll just step off from where we were last talking, which I think we we just discussed sleeping bags, and we were at that point where you're getting to the tops and you're looking for a campsite. So, so what a what what's the uh, advice of when we we get to the tops and we're looking for a campsite? What what key things do you look for, and what what can be detrimental even though they look good? Yeah, I guess you got to look at uh, you know obviously whatever's above you. Uh, if it's, um, you know, under a, under a cliff face or something like that, or a, or a scree shoot, but usually it's not a bad idea to camp, you know, somewhere around tree line or a little bit above, uh, it depends a little bit on your access to water, uh, because in, unless there's some snow on the ground, that's, um, you know, basically right by, uh, right by camp, then yeah, there's a, can possibly a bit of be a bit of a stroll for water, so um, that's sort of one thing I look for. Uh, hard, you know, hard level ground, I should say, is is pretty hard to come by in that country. So if you do find a level spot, or you can excavate a bit of country, then um, by all means do it. Um, I think it's it's essential to to have a campsite that's um, that's quite level uh, because you know, sliding off your sleeping pad and, and getting broken sleep for um, for multiple nights is when it really starts to break down. Um, and, you, you know, you basically, your head's, head's not in the game if if you're um, getting annoyed or you're suffering, you yeah. know, lack of sleep and stuff that, like that. That broken sleep cycle because, yeah, you keep finding you're, you're against the tent wall and off your pad and shuffling back. Again and again, multiple times through the night. Yeah, exactly. So I'll, I'll, you know, if I have to, I'll spend 15 minutes to half an hour to, to level out a campsite if I know I'm going to be there for, um, you know, for multiple nights. It may seem a little bit, you know, of an overkill, I guess, but, yeah, believe me, it's uh, it's essential to get a decent sleep in that country. It also plays a part when um, having a level site when it gets wet and <laughs> starts raining and... Although you get it pools in the water, but yeah, being on an uneven ground, you get that water flowing into the back faster, bringing mud and debris down behind you in the tent and the rain's a given pretty much. So that, that's another thing you watch for, well, whether you're gonna be exposed to silt and, and things like that. 
Uh, yeah, so cutting in a drainage, we found out it's probably we didn't expect to be having that much rain, but um, we woke to have water. What did we wake up? It was just the middle of the day having a snooze and was stuck in there during the rain, and the whole tent was just floating on water, which is the good thing to have a quality tent because having a cheap tent and having it slowly seep in over time, it's just it's not going to make things fun. No, no, that's exactly right. It was. There was no shortage of water, that's for sure, on uh, over that period. But um, you know, it is what it is. The West Coast will, will usually throw a little bit of everything at you, so you kind of just uh, yeah, drainage. Like Toby just mentioned, there's not a not a bad thing too. Um, you know, spend a bit of extra time just just sort of um, digging yourself a bit of a trench around your tent to, to uh, divert a bit of water. It's um, it all just makes for a better night's sleep at the end of the day. You know, it doesn't matter what the weather's doing. You, you're pretty safe if uh, if you've got it sorted from the start. And we, we missed on that talking on sleeping bags. It um, Not recommended to go in the tops or even in NZ West Coast in general without some sort of sleeping mat. And some people automatically think of comfort and soft, which is what I used to think of of sleeping mats because um, I used to sleep without them. But... It's because you lose so much of your body warmth. As if you listen to the podcast with Emma and Al previously, um, early on they were talking about the amount of body warmth you can move, you'll lose with sleeping on your back and your side. But having a quality sleeping mat will make so much difference to your body temperature and and quality of sleep. So, and you can even run a, a combination. So, um, which is what you run now isn't it over there yeah yeah so i've sort of uh, uh i guess i started off the first time we went into fjordland uh, i think i just took two z light pads uh that was probably just more due to budget than anything else at the time but uh now i i as i mentioned once probably earlier in the podcast that uh everything in my pack sort of has got to have a dual purpose so I tend to take a, a half, just half a, a Z-Lite pad now that I use to sit on while I'm glassing, uh, use it as a seat around camp, and just before I go to bed, I'll, uh, I'll slip it under, um, under a, a sleeping pad, like a, a blow-up pad. We use uh, Thermarest X-Lites. Uh, they've got about a 3.2 um insulation rating whereas if i slip a um a z light pad under it as well that gives you some extra insulation and also some protection against uh the the uh, possibility of any sort of puncture um so yeah again i guess setting up camp it's it's worthwhile just spending that a little bit extra time to um you know just to look at the debris on the ground and if you have to even put a bit of um a bit of tussock grass down go and cut a bit of that and put it down and that just adds to the insulation as well so and the, yeah. with it the, there's so many options with pads as well and there's and temperature rating like i had a um a, it had a down combination down air pad which was really good insulative qualities but if your down gear gets wet you're stuffed it won't you can't dry it especially a down pad it'll need a few days to dry out in the sun so if you're going in they're a bit they're a bit heavier than just the air ones but it's also little things like that you have to think about so the z lights are great for everything they're bulletproof sort of can take them in and out in and out get them wet you can 
use them to float if you had to. But um, yeah, if you're going to get another a secondary blow up one, have a think about it. Um, the down was fine, but it it ended up getting damp through condensation, through me being having wet clothes and not having a vestibule big enough. So when I'd come in with wet clothes, I'd take them off. Um, I tried the old trick of putting them in my sleeping bag, but they stayed wet. Um, and I've got a synthetic sleeping bag, so it's supposed to be better. But eventually all that moisture over, the, say, four days of getting in and out on that down mat, it got damp and it just and, and it didn't dry out. So it's something to think about, another thing to think about, that type of thing. So you can get away with just a Z-Light. It's perfectly fine. But I'll tell you what, having both of them had some pretty reasonable night's sleep. Yeah, yeah, no, that's for sure. That's for sure. It's, uh, yeah, again, if if there's, I guess there's an old saying, if you're not cold, you're not hungry, and, uh, you know, you're not wet, um, then your your head's going to be in the game when an opportunity presents itself, and, and that's pretty true. So. And talking of uh, dual purpose, that was another thing with your dry bags. If you, we, we had to go about 500 metres, I suppose, or 400 metres to get water. So we got, oh, 10 litres or more. That it, it saw us out, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's probably 500 metres direct line too, I'd reckon. So, yeah. And it was, was yeah, a couple of hundred it above. Of, it was a bit of a stroll, but, uh, yeah, no, they're certainly worthwhile having uh, an extra dry bag. Uh, not only, obviously, for, uh, you know, to keep your... your sleeping bag dry and clothes dry but uh certainly as a water storage uh facility it's it's a good deal um the other thing i've i've started carrying a lot is uh, a nelglin bottle uh just in usually a 400 mil size they've got multiple purposes you know you're um you can uh have you can put hot water in those like boiling water if you're having a coffee or a, uh, whatever you have your so desire there and um also if it gets really cold you can heat one of them up or certainly put some hot water in one of those throw it in the bottom of your sleeping bag just to uh, just to warm that up a bit um if someone does get hypothermic and there's a few people there quickly boil you know some water and fill those up with water and and get them on around a, a person you know not on direct skin obviously if you're just putting boiling water in it but um Certainly over your femoral arteries and across your heart there, uh, that can um, certainly uh, get some get some warmth back into people quite quickly. I, I didn't appreciate that bottle till I realised how much it saves you water and washing up as well because you don't if you're using your say you got your, your Jet Boil or, or a like brand making coffee and you got uh, milk powder and everything in that that tin it all it gets dirty. But having those bottles, every cup of tea, every coffee. If you have soup, whatever, everything's done in that bottle and they're quite easy to shake up and rinse out. And all, you, all using the jet boilers for um, cooking, the, boiling the water or um, cooking the odd bit of meat, I actually always have that thought. I'd bet you could probably even make that packet porridge in them. Yeah, yeah. I reckon you, you probably could. Um, I guess speaking too or just touching on, on cookers, um, Toby just mentioned the jet boil there. I tend to use a, uh, a cooker that's, has a little more capacity, uh, is still quite as uh, quite efficient, probably boils virtually the same time as the jet boil. Oh, I bought, I know, you, you boil twice as quick. Yeah, so it's called a Crux Weekender. It's got a, a main pot with a lid, but it's got some flutes on the bottom of the, uh, of the main 
of the main uh, part of that cooker and and so that that sort of efficiency um yeah can go a long way as far as uh, you know being a little more uh There's versatile more, more surface area getting heated versus Correct. a narrow for the same volume which it seemed to be we got the feeling that it used less gas having that larger cooker than a, a, a larger canister rather than a narrow one which if you're there for a long period of time and you're going to push your gas limits it's just little things to think about so yeah certainly that particular model you can uh you can put a uh, 230 or 250 gram um canister upside down and that uh fold up your you'll actually uh, fold up your your fire uh piece or your headpiece there and it'll sit in there as well and then you've got a cup on top of that or you can use that as a frying pan if you if you want to so saving space yeah. yeah it's a little more bulky when you think about it i guess in the jet boil but at the same token you've got twice the amount of gas so in reality it's um you know you've got everything uh in one so to speak so it's, it's a good deal yeah so when we got up we we spent a fair good a whack of time we didn't just run out and hunt i think we did a walk that afternoon but made sure yeah made sure everything was level tents were set up and kia ready because the little bastards will um, tear shreds out of everything, especially what, what the red, is it red? They love the red? Yeah, certainly I've had an experience there. Harrison and I were in the lands for the year before and um, we had two Hilberg solos side by side. His was a, uh, his was a sand-coloured solo and mine was a red. And, uh, yeah, they certainly favoured the red. They're of... They're obviously a nocturnal meat-eating parrot for those who uh, haven't heard of Kias, but they're uh, a, um, one of the only alpine parrots, um, nocturnal parrots in the world, apparently. So New Zealand's got them. <laughs> Painful. We were really didn't see any, just a couple of flybys, um, but they will pick apart your tent, little tags, little leaves of whatever. You leave stuff outside. You put a... Uh, be mindful of your rubbish, even though there's nothing there to wreck it. So it seems like there's no dogs or foxes or anything that's going to come and rip it up. The birds will come and grab any coloured plastic, a bag, anything you leave out, and they'll tear it apart. And they'll fly, like pick it up, fly off with it. So around camp, be real careful with little bits of this and that because <laughs> they're as bad as the West Coast in the destruction department. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's... Uh... The keys will destroy everything from water bladders to dry bags to they'll fly off with gloves, they'll fly off with release aids. It's uh, the whole works. So, <coughs> excuse me, they've got, um, you know, quite a substantial beak, pretty much like a white cockatoo, if not a bit longer. Uh, so it's a substantial uh, weaponry they've got there. It's certainly not advised to grab a hold of one, that's for sure. So now we've, uh, where we go, we, that was it, that we were on the hunt. So what, just, we'll just touch on what you, just for the, and we're talking mostly about gear here, but so what, are you, how's your approach to hunting the West Coast? What, we've talked a little bit about tree lines and, and times and stuff. So generally you do a lot of glassing and a little bit of walking. Yeah, I think any of those uh, guts that you can't see into until you're right at the edge of them, certainly approach them quite slowly, as, as you would, you know, any sort of hunting. Uh, but the tar can certainly, um, they can blend into their environment quite well. Um, they don't tend to, uh, you know, 
depending on the day, they will move a lot earlier than, than a lot of the deer species or, or you know, so uh, pigs and that, they, um, they'll move around midday, uh, you know, two o'clock in the afternoon's worth being where you want to be uh, to, to start glassing. And they're a bit of an animal of habit um, as long as they don't get, you know, hammered by by someone hunting them or uh, by a chopper, they'll habitually you can uh, you can kind of uh, pattern them a little bit. So um, yeah, you know if you see a bull coming out of a certain area um, a little bit later in the day and you and you're too far to make a run at him, certainly uh, the next day it'll be worthwhile to go back there and and do a similar thing just at an earlier earlier period in time. But there certainly is yeah a lot of a lot of you know, sitting and glassing and, and picking your targets. You, you'll you see tar that, uh, you know, are a perfect target, except you can't get to them. So yeah, it's, it's just sort of something you've got to work out for yourself. They, they actually, they don't mind skylining themselves. And that's, you get to get to sit down and look way out there. And then you think you can go out there and you figure out real soon that you can't. It all looks great. And your perception changes. Like this country, I steep stuff that like hunting with you here, you just sort of go up and down it. I've never had to be forced to go up and down it, so I never sort of did it here. But then when I went over there, you got no choice. You've got to move in certain spots. You've got to go through certain patches, and they're a hell of a lot hairier than over here. Um, things can happen. So a bit like what um, happened with um, Adam Greentree recently, he had to come down a path he didn't go up. So one of the things that a lot of guys will say in advice it's not recommended if you're going into a, a newer area you've never been before, you don't know the country, stick to what you know. So if you climb up there and you found a good path on the way up, don't come down a different path unless you're 100% sure you can get down because there's so many stories of guys getting bluffed out and when the weather comes in, they're not familiar with the path. There's, you'll be in the thick, even the beach, um, and all of a sudden you get cliffed out like you just... It's um so maintain a good a good path and work out pretty carefully if you can get into a situation that you can get back out or you can recover your tar because there's a lot of uh, guys have shot tar and they don't see them anymore. It's a big thing. So is it worth that stalk to chase that thirteen inch bull? Um, if you might be able to shoot him, but you may be never get him back. So yeah, certainly that's you know all that sort of is worth considering. Uh, I think at the end of the day, you know, just use your common sense and um, don't don't go too gun ho. There's there's kind of you know you can always hunt another day, so to speak. But um, if uh, you will you'll soon you'll soon scare yourself if you uh, if you throw caution to the wind over in in that sort of country. Mm. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, especially in the tops, there's no trees to catch you, and. You might look like you're just over a little lip, but then that lip drops away, and then below that, it's another big cliff you couldn't see, and and um, yeah, so yeah, be a be a real pick your paths, be very careful of your paths, try and go up, come back down where you go up, um, unless you got like a couple of weeks if you want to get lost or get stuck, and it's very strenuous to knock you about, and mentally, um, whiting out's pretty common up there in the tops because the, the fog and the temperature changes, that fog can roll in and out in minutes. And um, I don't know, what's your experience with getting whited out? Do you sit tight? Because it does clear. It doesn't generally stay there. It, it, it fairly well moves around. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, certainly it's, uh, I've had a, a few times and, and I guess that, that brings up another valid point as far as, you know, safety and communication, um, and, uh, you know, having a, having a GPS at least for, um, you know, some waypoints, put in a waypoint at, at base camp and, and at least you've got a bit of an idea of where you're going in, in that situation where it does get whited out because, yeah, it can be a uh, it, it can be certainly a daunting experience. You you can get um, you know thrown off track quite quickly, and and um, you know in a lot of places out here, that's that's not a big deal. You know, if you if you're not doing a direct line back to camp, it's it's fine or or a familiar path. But over there, as we touched on, it can uh, you can get bluffed out, and you can start to run out of light, and that's when panic sort of sets in and and that's when people get into trouble. So um, yeah, certainly we've uh, we've adopted the uh, the Enrich Explorers pretty heavily over there. It's um, they're just a fantastic device for for um, communication. Not a uh, well up until now they haven't been great for um, navigation, but they've just Garmin have just brought out a sixty six I, which is a uh it's got the top o mapping system as well as the um the epert um and uh you can get weather reports on them you can text on them uh so they'll they'll link to an email address or a, or a uh or a mobile number and you can literally communicate like you're you know sitting sitting outside your house and uh, and the person you're trying to um, call is um, you know in your house they're, they're that good so. they're still not they're still not weatherproof is in that if you got thick cloud cover you're still with as with any GPS any beacons and stuff the weather will still mess it up so as I think well um, Adam did have trouble his didn't go out not sure on what happened there but as um, Tom Jones once said the same thing he's he even sent a message out um, and it went out but it doesn't mean he could get picked up either the weather's dependent on that so but make sure you've got we were trying to get in touch with someone over there and set up a few contacts in Australia at home if you've got an inreach or that type of communication so if you can't get through to one person you've got a backup plan so I think you had a mate, Pat, and we'll bounce. he was doing the phone calls to the chopper company and we were messaging him to get updates because for some reason it wasn't working between us and James and you've got to be ready for that situation. So thankfully you had some other people's numbers and they knew where you were and what you were doing and it, it, it's just a backup. Uh, more than one person knows where you are, you got that multiple forms of communication because everything's not always going to work. No, that's right. You know, with any sort of satellite uh, system, there's always uh, downfalls from time to time. Um, one one memorable uh, situation, uh, Paul Southwell and I found ourselves in a few years ago where um, we had a sat phone in Montana and it just happened to fall on the... Um, on the anniversary of of 9-11 and uh all the satellites got scrambled so we literally had nothing for oh. uh, for 24 hours um so yeah you know i mean things happen uh like i said before the main thing's just just don't put yourself in a position where you 
cause yourself to panic because if people, you know, when people start to panic and and uh, you know get pushed for time and and stuff like that, it's that's that's where mistakes can happen. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Keep keep a do what you can to keep a clear head, and you'll know if you get somewhere, you'll go, oh shit, um, probably shouldn't be here. But yeah, just go <laughs> go back the way you came. So. So we got we got we had a successful trip over there. We managed to um, get an uh, an arrow. Well, you managed to get an arrow in a in a tar at, at well under twenty meters, I suppose. I was not too far behind you. Yeah, no, it was uh, just one of those situations where I think uh, that when I first saw this bull, he was uh, he was heading in the opposite direction. He was heading away from us, and he's obviously just heard a uh, heard something. You know when we were approaching and and decided to come and have a have a bit of a look um tar, tar can be quite curious if you keep quite a low profile uh quite often tar will um you know come and investigate what uh what you might be if you know if you stand up and and uh show them your whole profile it'll be a totally different story uh, but then, anyway, this tar came in and, um, yeah, he got a little bit curious. He probably came to 15 yards and, it, you know, it certainly was a, I won't say it was an awkward shot, but it was just um, one of those shots I was more or less half sitting, half leaning against this um, this rock face and and got a shot into him. I actually thought it was a pretty good shot, the, the, the first one. Um, but certainly... You know, once you see their body language, you'll end up um, learning after a while whether it's you know on the money or not. And and it was just a shot that was slightly off the money. And in the end, we uh, we had to back off. We saw him bed down, and we had to back off and and just uh, give him some time, which is what we did. Um, and yeah, the the worst thing you can do there is uh, is certainly push a tar that's you know not not totally expired because um yeah once they run off into some of those guts or those cliffs that's kind of the end of the day for you you're probably not going to recover it so. yeah he was a couple of hundred he he, just, he we reckon he pretty much died as minute he went out of sight because he didn't go far from where we last saw him um and went back that afternoon but yeah they you push them they'll be and they go straight down even he was a couple of hundred meters from the scrub but potentially had we pushed him and then gone in that monkey scrub in the top of the beach there you'd never see him mm. same with like you said heading over a cliff so yeah a bit if you if you if you get the opportunity and you put a an, an arrow or a bullet through an animal and if you get the opportunity with a gun to put another bullet in it's good but sometimes if they don't move just let them be and um wait it out if you're pretty confident on your shot because they just will go and they're surprising it it's one of those things that guys have done it will be familiar with, but myself, it's it. There's so much hair on them. The cape, in my opinion, is the best part about them. This massive big cape and mane, but there's four inches of chest at the bottom. That's just hair, and it can change your where you're going to place your shot. So be mindful of that, and really take note if they got their mane up and they're filled up, showing themselves off. Um, really really make sure you're putting the the shot in the right spot and then if they're down they're relaxed they're doing the opposite they've got all this hair hanging down as well but they'll have more of a back line but um yeah knowing your animal 
in those situations. It, I didn't even think of it till I went over there because a lot of the photos you'll see of them when they're dead and on the ground is they're not they're not they're not thrilled. But then you have a good look at one that's showing off or um, just standing up and the wind's blowing. It's just like this massive, thick, really deceptive, uh, like uh, image of where their their chest is, where the the boiler room is, um, and I'd say. A lot of people have lost tar by taking the hair off them. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, I can uh, I can attest to that. Um, so it's yeah, they they use their mane to intimidate uh, you know other bulls or adversaries, and um, yeah, it, it's uh, it's quite amazing when when one does puff himself right up. It's it's a bit of a spectacle. They can certainly make their horns disappear, and and um, but. Yeah, Toby's right. That is that is uh, really the winter coat, so the main the main trophy of a of a tar uh, looks looks pretty spectacular when they uh, when they perform. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm pity we we can't. No one can seem to figure out how to make those. You have to electrify it <laughs> and then glue it at the same time to get them to look that real cool, authentic puff. But um. With, uh, with after you've shot an animal up there, the good thing about the South Island um, West Coast is it's cold most of the time. And, um, yeah, you were telling me the stories. If you don't need to rush into caping your animal out in the dark, um, you don't have to work your ass off to do that. If you want to enjoy your hunt and it's cold, it's cold enough. You can let them go. Like Pat, you were saying, there's guys, there's Kiwis there who just shoot them and throw them in camp and then they go back up, hunt some more, and they could leave them un cape and then cape them four days later but just due to the low temperatures or whatever they keep yeah no that's for sure it's it's certainly all all um it's, it's all about the temperature that you're having at the time but um certainly you know you'll you'll um cape them off if you're doing a shoulder cape for instance you'll you'll take it to the back of the head and and then just uh cut the head off you don't need to to uh cape the face right away um, I, I still tend to do it, I guess, and it just lets it cool down. But certainly, I've seen some cases where, um, yeah, guys have uh, guys have got in, gone in in other camps, and and you they fly out, you know, on the same day back to the helipad, and there's blokes walking out with heads that they'd shot, you know, two or three days before, and the and the skin's still on the head, and and it's fine, it's 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 not going to slip, so. Um, yeah, it's uh, you know a bit of an advantage just for sure. Yeah, yeah, don't have to sit up in the um up in the tops or up away from camp to 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 face cape or even at camp in the middle of the night under a head torch. You can do it the next day and do yeah. a real nice job of it because um, I can only imagine that between those horns they can get a bit tricky. Um, some of the ones there. Uh, yeah, you've just got to be real careful. That's about the only part that that can uh, contest you a little bit. You know, one of those uh, Havlins or a fairly thin-bladed caping knife um, is, is useful, but a lot of the time you'll only have, you know, maybe a quarter of an inch between those uh, between those horns, and uh, you certainly don't want to ruin your cape by uh, slipping a knife through that that part of the part of the head skin. So they they don't smell real good, <laughs> the old tar. <laughs> you know, a bit like the goats over here. They, they... It's kind of a matter of opinion, I reckon. It's, uh, <laughs> if it yeah, if it brings back know. memories, it might. It's <laughs> yeah, a that's different right. thing. But um, you always take you take a meat bag to keep. You throw him in a meat bag, keep him separate. Um, yeah, look, or, it, it's you know not not essential, but um, 
yeah, we, you know, at the shop now, we're stocking those Alaskan um, game bags, uh, caribou game bags, which are a synthetic breathable bag. Uh, they're really, really light. And um, just, you know, it's just handy to, to have in camp. Um, you will we'll get some blowflies over there when it, uh, when it we, does warm up. Well, we had them there on the video there. That I couldn't yeah. do any slow-mo because every time I'd slow the footage down, there's this big fat blowfly. <laughs> cruising past yeah so if you do shoot one for meat you know and you're in a spike camp it's certainly worth having a meat bag that you can just hang it in the shade and um you know cut a piece off when you uh when you require uh for a meal so it's it's not a bad idea to certainly carry a, a couple of it, those it, it also helps with your pudding you see a lot of guys over that fur awkwardly hanging around somewhere carrying it down and having a, a large meat bag to pack your cape up into helps it stay in your pack or on your pack a little bit better when you need that if you're walking out of the tops or yeah. anywhere. You want that stability and having that loose skin um, getting all over your stuff as well. Or, or not that we none of us really care about blood on our packs, but on your, your, your clothing or your dry bags or everything else inside, yeah, a bit of a, a meat bag for 100 grams or less or whatever they weigh, it's a bit of a saviour um, for the packing, getting out, keeping it keeping it all intact as as much as you can. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's for sure. So So we um we didn't like we've said we had pretty good weather, but the weather that rolled in that we got wet, it was supposed to come in on the Thursday, end up coming in on the Wednesday evening, and then we got the forecast for the following week. So the, the inreach started out as it's like anywhere. You can't really give a good forecast outside three days, I reckon. Um, anything over that, you, you, you're clutching at straws for within a 12 hours of when something's going to arrive. But we got told pretty much we got a day to get off the mountain um, as far as the weather forecast goes. Yeah, so our, that's right. Our biggest issue was um, I think when we got there, we waited two days to cross the river. <clears throat> Excuse me, and then, then when we did cross it, and we got up the tops for uh, I think three or four days or something like that, and and we had enough food for I think about five days um, or four days possibly, and then I had uh, like I said, I bought a couple couple extra days worth of food. Yeah, I think I think we, we could eat for six. Com we were comfortable for six days. Okay. Yeah. yeah, right. And we we're there for well, we were across the river for six in the end. Yeah, so. Anyway, on that day when we got the forecast, uh, or oh, it rained for that day, and and it certainly started, um, you know, starting to to get that river rising again, and we had to get across uh, another creek as well, which was pumping pretty hard, and so when we did get the fine day, I think it would have been the Friday, was it possibly, or we flew in on the Friday, and no, and we were there for eight days. So, yeah. Okay. Must have. Well, yeah, it was a Friday. Yeah, 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 it was a Friday so we again. Must have flown yeah. out on the Saturday. So Friday, yeah. Friday. Yeah, yeah. We came down on the Friday. Flew right. out on the Saturday. We, we had a fine day Friday, but we knew we still couldn't get across the river. So. Um, but Percy Creek, with that, you don't really. That country up there is so steep. Even half a foot of water on the wrong step, out of balance, especially yeah. if you're carrying an animal in your back, you got thirty kilos. It doesn't seem like much, but that there's. That Percy Creek, there's parts of it you look into, you can't even see the creek. Mm. It just, they're all like, they're so steep, the water is flying down there. Like yeah, absolutely right. flying and it's just, it's be real careful, even the smallest creek. So, But yes. yeah, we 
So we, we ended up pulling the pin and and uh, heading down on the on the Friday. Well, we the chopper was coming in, and Correct. we had, we had a we had a bit of a sunny morning to um because mm. that weather was imminent weather was coming in hard and a lot of guys copped it. It was a it was a week of some real pure nasty west coast Correct. wet weather. So we were, we were like we got to get off here, but yeah, we had sunlight and we. We um, got a flat spot for the chopper to pick us up off the tops, but he didn't have sunlight. So. Correct, yeah. He couldn't uh, get over a pass coming from, from the west there. So um, we actually we actually elevated or made some elevation. and Harrison climbed. Up the mountain. Yeah, Harrison, Harrison had to climb like 400 metres. Yeah, Harrison went a fair, fair way up. And look. There was a certain period in time when we thought we're going to have to make a decision here, and I thought, well, the the best chance we've got would be to get down at least to river level uh, while the weather's you know wasn't too bad. So we ended up doing that, and um, yeah, we all made it down safely in the end. Harrison had a bit of a bit of a scare there at one stage, and um, yeah, well, he was um coming into it near a slip one in a landslide actually took the the top lip of the bank out and he went down with it yeah and luckily there was a, a log that was hanging across some or a bit of a gut a slab rock on either side and he found himself hanging off this uh hanging off this log and was uh, fortunately strong enough to um yeah drag himself back up and bit of a wake-up call but, he said but yeah. yeah no it took him up it took him up for a few days actually so yeah just one of those things that um you know, you, you just, yeah, just don't take it for granted, that's for sure. I think, uh, not that it's anything like Everest, but they say Everest is, um, it's one thing to make it to the summit, it's another thing to get down. And so just certainly coming down is always, uh, yeah, take your time. And don't, don't, be, don't be indecisive, like you said, we said we have got these timelines we set, we have to leave, we had to leave by two to get off the top of that hill and that was getting down to the river flat with an hour, like giving ourselves, we did it pretty quickly, but um, yeah, don't leave it too late. Don't get caught anywhere in the dark. A couple of fellas got caught, didn't it? it was two periods later or something, they got caught in the wrong side of a creek as well for without their gear and they had to get flown out. Oh, that was a, that was actually the uh, previous year. Oh, was Harrison it? and I were in there, yeah. Yep. Two Kiwi guys actually probably should have known a little bit better, but uh, anyway, they they went across a creek. Um, you just were, you know, a, a little a, creek, a not even a, a big one. Yeah, like it was it was pretty tame apparently when they went across, but it it came in quite quickly. Started raining, and they got stuck on the other side of a creek with um, without any of their gear, and uh, they they got pretty cold that night and uh, almost hypothermic actually, and and uh, they had to get flown out the next day to. To get uh, get thawed out a bit, so, so mate, yeah, to, yeah, make solid decisions. So we made that solid decision, which was great. The weather was actually wrong. We ended up having a good, clear day that day, um, but we still had no news from the chopper until your mate told us that he couldn't get through. For some reason, we still had issues with communicating. So we we didn't get picked up, but we planned to look at the river. It was still swollen. It was still dirty. So we got down and. Not too worried, just like, oh, just thinking we're going to spend more time, we're going to get wet. If you don't get in, we're going to get wet for a week. So mm. we were prepared for that. And if we didn't cross the river, we'd have to shoot something to eat. But um, it still wasn't an issue. 
Yeah, I knew I knew the weather was uh, supposed to sort of come in the next day. When when we got down to the river, it was obviously still too high to cross. It was probably look, we're only talking maybe six or eight inches higher than when we crossed it coming across, but six or eight inches of water, you know, that goes from your up to well my waist anyway, or or a bit higher up to your chest. That you know, with a pack on, that's just a, a no go zone really. So. We, we found a camp spot um, and uh, set up camp for the night. Uh, the next morning we got up. And, and we had that food that you'd left Riverside, yeah, which was correct. great because that we all, none of us had any food at that, that, that point in time. Yeah. Um, and that was enough that we could have a meal that night. Yeah, yeah, and we still had a little bit left, you know. So with what the uh the weather looked like it was um the the river would have gone down overnight which it did and um it was still a little bit uh higher than when we come across but if if push come to shove by lunchtime that day we we could have got across but then the um then we heard some rotor blades coming and uh yeah we ended up ended up getting um, oh he came he came in and picked up the other boys didn't he? And then we knew for sure that they was going to get into us, so we made a helipad. Correct on the um, river. On the river where there. we were. Um, mm. And he landed there and uh, just popped us across the river to base camp. And um, yeah, then we <laughs> found found out that apparently base camp wasn't set up too well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, base camp had suffered a bit from uh, from a bit too much rain and and slightly too big a tarp. So. Um, yeah, the decision was made based on what the weather forecast was for the following week that, you know, we'd, we'd be better off uh, shifting out of there because we would have got maybe one, two days at the most for the next week where you wouldn't have been in camp, virtually bailing water. So Yeah, and that was another point to a bit of a thing for me as all clicking, I was sort of, you were like a safety net because I wasn't going in there. I'm green, but as far as what we were doing, it was no, far from green. But the chopper, you hear people say it, it may not get in or it'll be this long before it get in, but they were adamant they were getting in to pick us up out of the tops, and they didn't. And even if you know and the chopper says it's coming in, we're on our way, don't don't eat all your tucker, don't, don't be ready to leave because you just never know that it may not come. Just be prepared. Even if they say they're coming, until you hear the sound of that thudding, um, be ready that they don't. You may be another day. Yeah. And if they didn't arrive and we got stuck in there, it started raining at lunchtime that day. Mm. Yeah. Um, when we got back, we had gear underneath the verandas of the caravan park that night because it was raining. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's, I guess it's that's just one one lesson to learn, you know. It, it's um, end of the day if you got to go there, Tucker, for a couple of days, it's not going to be enjoyable, you know. But it's uh, you're not going to die from it. But uh, you you know you make a bad decision in trying to cross a swollen river, then that that could become you can, a whole you can different die from story. That. Yeah. So, so there a lot of it's pretty a pretty good temperature wise over there, but yeah, very big eye opener for me and in what a what a beautiful beast she is over there on the west coast um good experience but a lot of that that other little technical stuff that we've covered and spoken about in there 
um, which we didn't go into too much super detail, but yeah, just having your having good quality tent is going to be waterproof. Having a set of dry clothes in a dry bag in your tent, having a sleeping mat, having and we didn't touch on the ice axe or crampons or what are the other things called? <laughs> the little ones? Yeah, yeah micro spikes. Micro spikes. They're not a big the ice axe was what for what we did, um, well and truly worth it for climbing up those uh especially through that beach stuff, like just that extra handle hold um on things with a slippery environment. If you can get an ice axe, um I yeah, I've never used one before, never thought about it have walking sticks was going to take them but then when you said ice axe the only thing that i would look at is maybe adjustable one that was just a fraction short but not too short don't be thinking because you have to reach down to touch it that it's too short because you're always walking up steep hills like they're almost the perfect height but um yeah a good little thing that you don't necessarily need but yeah, it takes a massive load um, and a bit more security um, and the same with oh, we, I never took any micro spikes over but there's something you always have in your pack yeah yeah no it's just uh, certainly you know if you're going into the ice uh, the crampons are going to be the go for sure uh, but your micro spikes on that short tussock on a steep slope uh, that just can give you a little bit more security a lot of people have fallen and um, you know basically come to grief on uh on that really short tussock or snow grass that uh, is up high and and you kind of think it's um you know quite an innocent sort of area but if you do lose your footing the amount of pace you can pick up on that stuff uh quickly is frightening and so um, it's, it's it gets covered in a like a black ice on a road doesn't it when you that's the dangerous stuff yeah it can do it can do for sure and you know even if it's uh even if it's it's quite dry and slick. It's still slippery. It's, it's, it's still slippery. Yeah. So just having that, uh, those spikes, um, you know, there's, there's lots of variations of those as well. As Yeah, you can so. get, you can, they're, they're an item I had a look when, um, when I got home. They, they're, they're one of those things that you can pay a million bucks for or you can pay five bucks for. Um, but yeah, there's some in a budget for everyone and, um, and they're very small. They're not heavy. They get them in titanium or, or whatever else, but yeah, yeah, the same with your axe. They're not heavy at all. Um, they do take up a little bit of room if you've got a bag, but if it's if, if your bag's long enough, it's fine. But um, really, really helpful um, for what I was doing. I found some people don't find they're that helpful. I know Harrison; he didn't like using one. But um, no, he, he, I mean he was carrying his bow too, where where you know I had my bow strapped to my uh, strapped to my pack. Um, it's certainly the ice axe, you know, it's a walking axe. It's not a climbing axe that we're talking about. It's, um, you know, it's just the multi-uses, you know, you can level, level out a camp spot for it. Yep. You can, uh, you know, you can dig a, dig a bit of a hole um, to, you know, bury your own waste and, and stuff like that. So it's, it's certainly a worthwhile item for mine. So what, um, what also Boulder Creek's got in the works is when, when we can get it organised is to do... A NZ pack, which is going to be the basics for NZ, um, which because a lot of guys with Pat again with his gear, you you started your shop up not a hundred percent to make heaps of money or anything like that. It is a business, but is because you couldn't get the gear for this type of expedition. 
readily available in Australia that was at the quality needed from one place. Yeah, certainly that that was sort of the uh, I guess the building blocks or the foundation be behind uh, what we've developed. And you know, someone can kind of walk into the shop and and get everything they need for a uh, you know self guided trip into New Zealand or into the big high country or something like that. And and yeah, we'll uh, we'll end up making you know I guess the the ultimate New Zealand um, self guided you know trip. Uh, or kit and so uh, it'll you know give you a few variations obviously with um, boots and stuff like that but um, but you're probably, you probably it's know. gonna have good gear you probably have to mortgage your house <laughs> if you're gonna buy it all in one big go but yeah well and well and truly this is um yeah why, why you're there isn't it for this kind of thing yeah absolutely to help absolutely. so yeah hopefully you guys um have got plenty out of this this two podcast we've tried to give as much as we possibly could um the only thing we touch on getting back is when you're traveling out of nz um we stopped at customs coming into australia for quite a period of time to talk to them about getting skins back in green skins especially but getting your tar or whatever you want any bone out of the country as long as it's clean and bleached there's no meat material on it or blood visible they pretty much you can walk in with it yeah correct so you, your skull caps or your uh or your skulls uh like toby said as long as they're boiled out and bleached free of any uh any sort of uh material at all and, and make them smell like bleach too like you don't uh, want to smell like rotten meat no nah, exactly and same with the horns now the uh the rules for bringing back in green skins have changed about three times in the last 18 months currently you need a map certificate um and honestly it's uh, no one knows where to get it it's difficult to get one of those or get one that someone to sign off on it anyway so yeah your alternatives to uh to use a taxidermist over there to uh to get a uh a, a cape or a skin tanned um but from there they don't need to be able need to send it to anyone else so if um you don't need one of those special import taxidermists like correct so there shouldn't be any middleman between the taxidermist uh tanning your skin or cape and you receiving it in a mail because it's just a leather product like any other leather leather product so just be mindful of that when you're uh negotiating you know with with whoever you're dealing with over there to um and let them know that you know you know you know what the deal is, um, once it's a tan product, it can just be sent in the mail. So, yep. so as long as, as well as with having your trophies, see, if you, you can skull cap your tar, you can pop the horns. I think we were talking about the microwave method, but no one's going to try it that we know. <laughs> so <laughs> apparently it pops the horns off, but you get your horns off, boil them out. You can do it in your hotel room, give them a quick bleach, but make sure if you can't get peroxide because the bleach is a way of a much better smell, but... Make sure you rinse them in water after that. You don't want the bleach to keep chewing in to your bone. Um, but that's not the only thing they worry about. They'd be more worried about what's in your tent, what's in your boots, what's in your socks, your gaiters. So when you get back and you're having that relaxing pack down, you're going to have to get your tent out, 
You have to remove all the burrs, all the, the leaf, the material, everything you can out of that tent. Shake it off, dry it out, get everything spotless. If you can take your boots to a car wash or you got mates, give them a gurney. If they look really like you made an effort to clean them up, um, literally I've had a, I went over twice in a row and gurneyed the first time, second time I was wearing them. Wearing them makes a huge difference if you're going to wear them back. And um, having things like that clean and neat and your gear packed away and folded and they'll look at your stuff and think differently about it. But, um, yeah, they took my tent. Uh, was it the way back? Yeah, they took it and I'll open it out and I'll check for seeds. And, and um, yeah, if you don't clean your gear properly when you're leaving and going over, you um going to waste a lot of your time. They're, it's their job. They're paid to be there. But, um. Yeah, if you got if you got connecting flights from Sydney to Melbourne or Sydney to wherever or Melbourne to wherever, and you're stuck at customs um, while they're going through every bit of your gear, uh, it's not a fun fun process. So, how, have you got any tips for cleaning up gear? Uh, not not so much. I mean, like like you said, it's uh, it's just a matter of making sure all that organic material is. Um, is you know uh clean and uh or you know it's free of any organic material and um yeah going um going over uh into new zealand they're probably uh their quarantine is is probably a lot harsher than than ours in some ways so certainly when you're going in nz uh your boots your tents your uh, gaiters um all that sort of stuff will, will need to be free of um free of any debris and um wash your knives the guy yeah. <laughs> the guy when i went over there, there that first time he said the knives are the worst because no one ever cleans their knife fully it's got a little right down near where it goes into the handle just just scrub it at home or if you're in a hotel or whatever scrub your knife just put it through the dishwasher whatever you do because um yeah, like again, that one little item that they pick makes them think second, like makes them think twice about the rest of your items. So if you can make the first few things they see spotless and look really good, it'll make for the rest of it a smooth, smooth operation. Yeah, absolutely. Have have those those items: a tent, your boots, your gaiters, your knives, all at the top of your pack. And uh, as soon as you go over for an inspection, just undo your bag and lay them all on the table. And uh, if they have a look at them and, and they're pretty good, you know, most of the stuff you'll just, you'll breeze through it. So Don't be fine. scared to declare it. It's, it's much easier to process if you declare, even if you're going to come a couple of items or whatever, declare, because generally if you don't declare and they catch you out and whether or not you were legit or you're trying to be a bit deceptive because you don't want to waste time, um, it'll take a lot longer than yeah. if you do declare. If you do declare and you come in and they see clean boots, I'll glance over your gear, see that you've taken the time and let you through. But if they see dirty boots or you didn't declare and they see you've got boots or you've got a bow or whatever, and um, be quite – if they ask you what's in the case, yeah, use the right language too because um, old um, fella from I Hunt Down Under got a bit of a bit of a crap, let's put it honestly, from some vegan uneducated woman um, working for Virgin and – yeah, I got asked and Harrison on the way in, they just pretty much asked. And when I came back into Sydney and they were like, is that a bow? The lady behind the counter on my first trip, she's like, oh, I don't know anything about them. And and I said, they're, they're quite, they're perfectly legal. They're not classed as a weapon. Um, so, 
never use the word weapon. Just say it's a bow and arrow. It's sporting equipment, and and it, and it is. And be straightforward and give as much simple information like that first for those kinds of things. Because another guy came over to me and said, he said, what is it? He said, it's just a bow. He says, not a crossbow or anything like that. And he's like, oh, off you go. So, yeah, be clear and use the right language, um, especially when you're coming across people who haven't experienced it. Some of the customs people are just, they just know it. Some of the Kiwis will ask you where you're hunting <laughs> or what else are in the shopping centre over there. And she's, what'd she say when you bought all that salt? You're, you're either been hunting or you're something else. <laughs> yeah, you're trying to preserve something, so. Yeah, so yeah. They, they know pretty well. But, yeah, in Australia, when you're going through that, you make sure you just tickle that boss. It's, it's not hard and, and it's easy to be open and simple and they, you'll appreciate that. They will too, but you will more so when, when you get home quicker. So that um yeah that wraps her up i think um if there's anything else you want out of this um yeah flick over head over to the facebook page for hunting camp down under if you want any gear questions from pat um head to boulder creek archery facebook page and he's on instagram as well um got a website finally it's actual gonna happen yeah all but there so we're only talking another month a year and uh so um yeah you know and that's that's a month from what the 20th 20th of uh july so yeah look by the end of august it'll be up and running this uh, this will hopefully be this will probably be out when when your page is running so it's been mm. it's in now waiting on suppliers now aren't you to provide with a few things for the images and yeah correct we're we're just going to introduce it with um probably four or five of our main items um and um yeah Obviously, the XO packs, uh, you know, the Kennetrek boots, uh, Hilberg tents, Alaskan guide, bino harnesses, and uh, and the caribou uh, game bags. And once we get a he our head around that, then we'll start introducing the full range of gear that we'll have in the shop, which is always growing. So there'll be uh, there'll be something there for everyone in the, in the end. Yeah. So yeah, don't be scared to head over, and if you got any um. Some serious questions on the gear or, or hunting NZ, just flick Pat a message through through Facebook there. You can get a hold of him. and um, Or uh, uh, us boys at Hunting Camp Down Under will steer you in the right direction. If we can't answer the question um, and you can't get a hold of Pat, yeah, we'll certainly help you out. Um, but, yeah, thanks for coming on, Pat. Um, yeah, no worries. Thanks for having us again. I uh, hope, hope people got something out of it. And, uh, yeah, no, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay. See you later. Thank you for listening to the Hunting Camp Down Under podcast. If you would like any information from today's show, please don't hesitate to contact us on huntingcampdownunder at gmail.com or simply hit us up on any of our social media outlets on Instagram or Facebook. Be sure to join us next week for another awesome episode and we look forward to sharing another story from Hunting Camp Down Under. Bye for now.